All right. So for those of you that are just checking in, if you're listening online later or listening to the podcast, welcome. Uh, if you haven't already, we would love for you to check in. Now, what, do you, what happens when you check in? Uh, we get to pray for you. If you put your prayer requests down, then we'll be able to pray for you during the week. If you are letting us know who you are for the first time, we're not going to show up at your house. We're not going to bombard you with a text or a communication. We're not going to call you every other day. We will just simply keep in touch with you through uh, email and also every once in a great while a text if there's something really important. So be sure to check in because we would love to be able to connect with you and stay connected with you. So we are in a series called Praxis. And remember, Praxis has this idea of our course of action, our walk, our way of life. These are the, the practices or habits that make up our life and in particular make up our life as followers of Jesus. Again, these aren't commandments. These aren't like the Ten Commandments. These aren't issues of salvation. If you do these things, then you're good with God. If you don't do these things, then you're being condemned. It's not like that. It's more the regular practices, the rhythms of grace that make up a believer's life. And uh, we've talked about how they fit into these three main categories of what we do, the pattern that we see from Jesus' life, knowing God, growing together, and going and making a difference. And in this first section of messages that we've been in, it's been mostly in that first category about how we know God. And we talked about that as someone following Jesus will be a person communing with God on their own. We see the pattern in Jesus' life that he would pull aside. He would spend time in isolated places to pray. And if Jesus, who is God in the flesh, son of God, needed to spend time focusing on connecting with his heavenly father, then probably we as his followers need to do the same thing. So we've talked about a couple of different practices or habits or things that we do as followers of Jesus that help us to make that connection with our heavenly father. Now today, the practice or habit or way of life rhythm of grace that we're going to be talking about answers this question. And that is, how can I experience freedom from guilt and sin? Now, when we proclaim the gospel, the good news about Jesus, who he is, what he did, and what it means for us, then part of that is the promise that we will be forgiven, that the things that we've done will be forgiven. We don't have to live with the guilt of the past. And in fact, beyond that, not only do we not have to live with the guilt of the past, we can be free of those sins. We can move past them. We do not have to be subject to those sins anymore. The things that we feel guilty about, the things that we wish we hadn't said, the things that we wish we hadn't done, we can be free of the guilt, but we can also be free of the power of sin. That's the promise of of the gospel. However, that's not always our experience, is it? Because there are still some times when we look back on our past and the things that we've done, the things that we've said, and we feel guilt. There are also times 
where we wish that we could move past something, that we would stop doing something, that this was not a part of my life anymore. And then the next day it happens again. And so what is, what is the difference between the promise to a follower of Jesus and our sometimes experience of it? And it actually gets even worse than that because when you have a guilty conscience before God, just like if you have a guilty conscience in a relationship with somebody else, it tends to impede and hinder that relationship. If you know that you've wronged somebody and they know it too, then you don't really want to, you're not eager to spend time with them. You don't want to run into them in the store. You don't want to, you don't want to move towards that person because of your guilt. And in the same way, sometimes our guilt over the past and things that we'd wish we'd done, things that we wish we hadn't done can impede our relationship with our heavenly father. Whereas we wish that we could just come to him at any time and at any place and unload our heart. There's a little part of us sometimes that says, "Mm, I don't know if I can do that. I I, I I don't know if he wants to see me. I don't know if he wants to hear from me because of this. So the good news is that there is a way through this. And it's a part Uh, And this practice that we're going to be talking of, the lack of it in a believer's life and its lack of being practiced on a regular basis is probably why sometimes you feel stuck with that guilt and with that ongoing sin. It is possible. It is promised. It is expected as a follower of Jesus that you will be free from that guilt and that you will experience greater and greater freedom from sin as time goes on. And this practice, and its ongoing practice, is a key to that. Today's message is called Changing Course. And today, we're going to be talking about repentance, the issue of repentance, and the practice of repentance, the ongoing, repeated Practice of repentance Repentance is how we get free. Now, I'll give you an overview. We'll come back to these in just a second. Number one, repentance, recognize that something is wrong. Repentance, secondly, results in a change of course. And thirdly, repentance is a recurring, recurring part of the salvation experience. And so as we celebrate communion today, you will have the opportunity to take this next step of beginning the practice of regularly repenting, of regularly changing course. You will let revelation, recognizing something that you didn't recognize before, lead to confession, agreeing with God about the state of affairs that will result in repentance. So that's what is planned for today. We're going to look at two different scripture passages, and I'm going to invite Joan and Joy to come up and read these passages with me. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 18, and 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 34. Now, if you want to follow along, if you have a Bible or grabbed one of the Bible in the corners or you got a device, we're going to be looking at the New Living Translation. So... Thank you, ladies. Let's read it together. This is John chapter 3. 
It was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. I saw what you were looking for. And actually, she's first. Oh, actually, let's switch this around. I didn't give a lot of good thought to that. You scoot over there, because that way you guys can share the mic. And I'll do that. Yeah. Okay, now we're good. John chapter 3. It was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor, Pontius Pilate. Notice that, the, the, that the, the author, Luke, here, in this case, is setting this in historical context. This, this isn't a fairy tale. This is set in history. Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea. Herod Antipas was ruler over Galilee. His brother, Philip, was ruler over Ituria and Traconitus. Licinius was ruler over Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas were the high priest. At this time, a message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled and the mountains and the hills made level. The curves will be straightened and rough places made smooth. And then all people will see the salvation sent from God. When the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, you brood of snakes, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. The crowds asked, what should we do? John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, Teacher, what should we do? He replied, Collect no more taxes than the government requires. What should we do? asked some soldiers. John replied, Don't extort money or make false accusations, and be content with your pay. Everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon, and they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. John answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. John used many such warnings as he announced the good news to the people. Now we're switching to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed... The Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So, my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. If you are really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment upon yourselves when you meet together. I'll give you instructions about the other matters after I arrive. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the testimony of the scriptures and we pray that as we look at it today, that your Holy Spirit, the author who inspired these scriptures will speak to our hearts, that you would give us open ears and open minds, hearts that are willing to, be, to obey and prepare the soil of our hearts so that this good seed will be implanted deeply and bear much fruit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I left my clicker on the stand. Didn't I? Yep. Okay. <laughs> All right, so bottom line again today, the practice of repentance is how we get free. So the first thing that I want you to notice is that repentance recognizes that something is wrong. It recognizes that something is wrong. Uh, so there's this passage that even, uh, and this is kind of encouraging and kind of interesting, that even the Lord, in response to the prayers of his people, will sometimes change course. We see this in Exodus chapter 32. This is verse 14. It says, so the Lord relented. And that idea of relenting is the same word that's, that we would use for repentance. The Lord relented concerning the disaster he, would said, he, he said he would bring upon his people. So in Exodus chapter 32, we're in the wilderness and Moses has been up on the mountain hearing from God and receiving the Ten Commandments. But down in the valley, the people are wondering, what happened to Moses? And some of you will be familiar with the story. They end up creating this golden calf idol and they're worshiping and throwing a big celebration in front of it. And, God, and Moses is up on the mountain. He's communing with God. He doesn't know what's going on down there. So God says, bad news. This is my paraphrase. This is not actually quoting. Bad news. The people are, have gone completely crazy. They're creating an idol. I tell you what, Moses, 
How about if I just wipe them out and we'll start fresh with you because I just don't know if these people are going to make it. And so Moses, in response, he prays and he says, Lord, if you do that, if you destroy the people, think of what it'll look like to the Egyptians because you, you with all these mighty acts, these, these plagues, and it, you intervene to save these people. And then the, uh, they were delivered out of slavery and now you're going to kill them in the wilderness then the people back in Egypt are going to say the only reason he delivered them out of Egypt was so that he could kill them in the desert. That would not be good for your reputation. And so the Lord says, okay, I will relent. And so he relented. He changed his mind in response to God, to, to the prayers of his people. That's kind of, that's kind of cool and kind of, kind of crazy, but kind of cool as well. So this whole idea is recognizing that something is wrong. Something's different. So, so in response to the prayer and the logic that Moses presented to the Lord, the Lord relents new information, looking at things a different way, understand things in a different way. Now, repentance is kind of like that. It's seen. In fact, in the book of James, it says that when you read the scriptures, it's like looking in a mirror. It shows you what you are like and then gives you an opportunity to see what's wrong and fix what's wrong. Now, it's been kind of interesting over the last couple of years that uh, when I have been videotaped every single week, so sometimes when I go back and I'm posting it and, and picking a picture to put with the, on the cover and things like that, I, you know, I get to see myself in a way that I didn't notice before. And so sometimes I'll look and I'll say, oh my gosh, I'm never wearing that again. <laughs> you know, I, I think my mirror lies to me at home because I think I look okay, but then I watch the video later and I'm like, I am, I'm, some things, I'm not wearing that again. Some things, let's create a bonfire in the backyard. But, you know, it, it's, it's you see yourself in a way that you hadn't seen before. They say the camera never lies. I wish it did sometimes, but that's the way it works. So in the same way, looking, new information, okay, not wearing that again, or yeah, that goes back on the list. We'll wear that again. So simply recognizing repentance, the practice of repentance is how we get free, and repentance recognizes that something is wrong. That's the first step. It's just recognizing that something's wrong. Something needs to change. But, and here's the problem, here's why so often we are stuck in patterns of guilt and sin, because we recognize that something is wrong, but that's not the whole equation. That's not, that's just a part of the repentance equation. Also, repentance results in a change of course. It wouldn't do any good if I watched the video and I said, that looks horrible. I think I'll wear it next week too. You wouldn't do that, right? But sometimes that's the pattern that we fall into in our walk. So here is the core of it. Repentance results in a change of course. Now we can see this process unfolding as John the Baptist is talking to the people who have come to be baptized at the Jordan River. This is in the passage that we just read. It says, John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River. Interesting note. So if you picture the land of Israel, there's a river that goes down the middle of it. The Sea of Galilee is up at the top. The Dead Sea is down at the bottom. Jerusalem is right about here. So in order to get into 
the promised land, the people of Israel had to cross the Jordan River. They had to go into and through the river. That's how they started this journey. So people have pointed out that, John, in addition to the fact that this is one of the few places where you might find the water that you needed, that he's reenacting the starting point of their journey in the land. So John comes and it says, this is what his message was. This is what he did. Preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Now, baptism is just a transliteration of the Greek word for immersion. It means to be immersed, to be dunked. And so it was a ceremonial washing, which was not unknown to the people of his day, but it was usually done at the beginning of your spiritual journey. And so it was showing there's something new, there's, some, there's a cleansing aspect to it of well. And so he's inviting everybody to basically start over again. Get in the Jordan, just like the people when they first came into the land. Get washed, get clean, get a fresh start. I don't care how long you've been following the Lord. That's what his message is. And it's a baptism of repentance. It's showing that they have repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. It's a U-turn. You were going in one direction, but now you recognize that you're going in the wrong direction, that a change of course is called for. And so you make a U-turn and you start moving in a new direction. We see this process unfolding. So the people are coming out, the crowds are coming out. So they say, okay, what should we do? What should we do differently? How, how can we, what should we do to change course? So John replies, generally, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. And notice you can see both aspects. You can see a recognition of something wrong and a changing of course, a doing something differently. So he's saying, people, look around. You have two shirts. You're only wearing one. Here's somebody else who doesn't have appropriate clothing. What do you think you should do with that extra one? Give it to them. You're sitting at your home. You have lots of food. There are other people who are going hungry. What should you do? You recognize this is not right. I'm being fed. These other people are not. I have extra. I can share. So share it with the hungry. And he just goes on and does the same exact things. And you see the same pattern. Recognize when what is wrong, calling for a change of course. The tax collectors. Now, the tax collectors were people who were Jewish tax collectors who were collecting taxes from their own people for the Roman government. And part of the license, part of the, the franchise of a tax collector was they had to give a certain amount to the government, but they could legally charge the people whatever they wanted. And so many people got rich on the backs of their fellow men and women. And so he says, the tax collectors are coming. And they say, teacher, what should we do? He replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. You've been extorting the people. You've been taking your position and leveraging it for your own benefit to the detriment of your brothers and sisters, your neighbors. And so don't do that anymore. Just collect what's required. That's the only thing you do. So 
What should we do? Ask some soldiers. Soldiers are in a different position. Uh, he says, don't extort money or make false accusations and be content with your pay. Similar to the tax collectors, the Roman soldiers were in positions of authority. They carried the sword. They had rule and authority. And so sometimes they would use that for their own benefit and to the detriment of the people that they, were, uh, that they had authority over. So you can see this process. Recognize something is wrong and then actually do something about it. Um, and you can see how all of this ties together. If you've been here for part of the other series, we've been talking a lot about reading and responding to God's word. The practice that I've been particularly promoting is life journaling. And we looked at 2 uh, Timothy chapter, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It talks about the scriptures, and it says the scriptures, part of what they do, part of what their use is, is they help you to recognize things that are wrong. Just like James was talking about, look in the mirror. And they teach you the right thing to do. It shows you the course correction that you need. So there are two parts of it. And if you want to be free, you will get in the habit of practicing repentance. It starts with recognizing that something is wrong. It goes on to resulting in a change of course. But in order for it to truly work its work, it's not a once and done thing. It's an ongoing, recurring habit. So repentance is a recurring part of the salvation experience. We recognize usually when a person comes to Christ, when they get baptized, that they are repenting. They're getting started on the journey. The things are going to be different from now on. But repentance is not just something that happens once at the start. It's something that is a recurring part of the salvation experience. But let's look at it from the start and then the, the practice of it, the ongoing. So in Mark chapter 1 is the introduction to the gospel. And when it's introducing Jesus and the essence of his work and message, it says this. Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. Now, I've highlighted good news there because good news is euangelion, it's, the, it's an, a good, good word. It's the announcement of good news. Notice that it's not good advice. Uh, Tim, uh, you know, Tim Keller talks about this. Uh, it's good news. And the same word was used when a general would come back from uh, a victory and letting the people know, we've won. The, the, the enemy has been defeated. And so Jesus is proclaiming God's good news. Well, what is that good news? Goes on to say, the time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. And you can see the parallels. The time promised, kingdom of God. It's come at last. It's drawn near. Now, what he's saying is, we're getting ready to inaugurate the kingdom of God. The time that you've been waiting for, God's rule, God's setting everything right, has, that time is now at hand. So in light of that information, recognizing that the situation is changing, what is the resulting course of action that Jesus calls for? Well, Mark summarizes it like this. Repent of your sins 
and believe the good news. The very first word in the response, the application step, the next step in his message is repent. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Right after Easter, we talked about the kingdom of God, and you can go back and watch this, but remember, this is the timeline of history, creation to new creation. God intervenes, uh, sets up creation. He constantly is intervening, but we keep blowing it. And then finally, there's going to be this new time where God establishes his kingdom, changes us from the inside out, and begins a new timeline. He's saying, we're right here. We're getting ready to start this. So the most logical thing to do is to re-flip the script, write a new ending to your story, start doing things differently because this time has come. It's a time for salvation, but it's also a time of judgment as well. So he's saying, get your house in order. Now, so that's how you get started in this journey. When I talk about saying yes to Jesus, we talk about it as saying yes to his forgiveness What he did on the cross is going to count for me, but also yes to his lordship, that he's the boss, that he gets to call the shots from this point on. So we think of repentance very often as the start. I need forgiveness for the past, but repentance is a part of our ongoing following the Lord as well. In 1 John, the letter from the apostle John to the churches, he talks about this. He says, If we say we have fellowship with him, we have fellowship with God, we have communion with God, we are in fellowship with him, and yet we walk in the darkness. Remember, walk is a biblical idiom for the way of life. It's like if you say that you are in fellowship with God, but you're walking in the darkness, you're constantly walking down the wrong path, what does that tell us? It says we are lying and we are not practicing the truth. So not only is it the way that we start our journey by repenting, turning from our sins to God, it's also the way that we continue on that journey. We walk in the light. We walk in fellowship with him. We practice the truth. Then just a couple of verses later, one of the most famous verses, one of the first verses that I was taught as a new believer is how this works. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, you might have heard, I might have even said this earlier, confession is agreeing with God about something. It goes back to that first step of repentance. I realize that something is wrong, I, 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 need, I realize that there's a need for a change. That's confession. I say, God, I blew it. God, that's wrong. I'm, that's not what I want. That's not what you want for me. That is confession. But notice that it goes on. He says, that's our part is confession. If we do that, rather than denying, he is faithful and just, and he does two things. This is, key. this is cool, and this is key. He forgives us. That means you don't have to feel guilty anymore because the punishment, the judgment for everything that you did, God laid on Jesus willingly at the cross. So you have exchanged your sorry, guilty record for Jesus' perfect, blameless record. 
And so when God looks down and sees you in Christ, he sees you as forgiven. But it goes on because it's even better than that. It's not just taking care of the past. It says that he will purify us from all unrighteousness. That is that God, we talked about this last week, when you say yes to Jesus, gives you his personal presence and power in the person of the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, transforming you, making you new. As Elizabeth quoted this verse, of 2 Corinthians 5.17, making you new from the inside out. The old is gone, the new has come. So how does this all tie together? Well, confession is recognizing that something is wrong. But to actually make the resulting change of course, ultimately you need God's power. And when you confess, it says he'll be faithful. He's promised to forgive. You are forgiven. But he also will change you, change your life, flip the script, write a new ending to your story. He will purify us from all unrighteousness. So as you, if you're committed to, you know, that's part of the struggle. That's part of the discouraging part of this. It's like, oh, I recognize something's wrong. Now it's all up to me to change. No, it's not. Without Christ, you're hopelessly stuck in those patterns. But because of Christ and because of his Holy Spirit dwelling and residing in you, he is going to be faithful. And he'll not only forget the sins of your past because they are covered by the blood of Jesus, he will also, with the power of his spirit, enable you to walk and live a new life, a transformed life, and free you from the guilt and sin that has dominated and defined your life so far. That's how this all works. Now, in order to remind you of this, the basis of our salvation, but also the need for that change of life, you can use communion, which we do generally once a month, as a reminder a trigger for repentance. And in fact, that's what the Apostle Paul suggests in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that passage that we just read. Now, remember the context. We started this series, Praxis uh, uh, message number one was all about celebrating communion. And the whole idea is they were celebrating communion. They would have a meal together, which was supposed to provide for the needs of the poor in their fellowship. But instead, people who had money and extra time would come with all the best food before everybody else got off work, gorge themselves, get drunk, eat all the food so that by the time the people that needed it showed up, it was all gone and they were drunk. Not a good, not a good look. And so he's, he is, the Apostle Paul in this passage is addressing a particular situation. And the way that he does that is he says, you're not even, you're not even celebrating communion. You're doing it so wrong. In fact, let's just remember when Jesus established this and he emphasizes, the Apostle Paul does, as Jesus does, the body and blood of Jesus. It's recognizing, it's drawing our attention back to the cross, which should remind us of the basis of our salvation. Not our good efforts, not our good works, not our good intentions, but what Jesus did on the cross. That's how you got into this, 
and that's how you keep going in it. And so Jesus established communion as a regular reminder, you didn't do anything to get into this grace, and you can't do anything to maintain it. You just got to remember the grace of God displayed on the cross in the broken body and spilt blood of Jesus. But, but, so he says, so when you're celebrating communion, you're supposed to honor that. And by the way that you are acting, being selfish, not caring for the needs of others, there's a disconnect. Something doesn't fit. It's not right. So he encourages them to recognize that fact. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven, it says, so anyone who eats this bread, and this is the context for all of that, and drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily, celebrating communion in a way that doesn't fit with Jesus, is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. So that's why he says, look, use, uh, use, use communion as an opportunity to take assessment. Remind yourself, yes, there's nothing that you could have done in order to get into that grace. God's given it to you as a gift. But now your life should look different as a result. In the next verse, that is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. Now, because of the prominence of this passage, many, in many traditions, including the one I grew up in, this was all that celebrating communion was about. It's like, we're going to celebrate communion. Now, think about how bad you are and how rotten you are and all the ways that you've blown it. And it's your fault that Jesus had to go to the cross because you're such a bad person. And that was kind of the tone. I try to emphasize the good news. That's what it's supposed to be reminding us of, that Jesus died on the cross. He did everything that we could not. And he offered salvation and a new life as a gift to us. We celebrate communion. But let's not forget this part because this is an important part. Don't celebrate communion in a way that is unworthy of the elements that are reminding you of Jesus' sacrifice. So examine yourself. Say, hmm, yeah, I'm scourging myself and getting drunk while others go hungry. Let's celebrate communion. No, there's something wrong there. I, I, I need to change that. I need to make a course correction. So the Apostle Paul says, let's do that. You know, celebrate communion. But also, let's remember, it's supposed to have an ongoing impact in your life. You're supposed to be different because of what Jesus did and what he's doing in you. A little bit later in that same book, he gives this advice. Test yourselves to make sure you're solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. And so often, especially depending on what tradition you grew up in, you took communion, you went to mass unthinkingly. It's just like, this is the thing we do. But he's saying, no, don't just drift along. Don't, don't, don't take everything for granted. Give yourself regular checkups. Communion is one of those opportunities that gives us an opportunity for a regular checkup. You need firsthand evidence, he goes on to say. In other words, don't just say, oh, you know, I, I grew up in a Christian household or, you know, I, 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 got, I got baptized when I was a baby. You need firsthand evidence, not mere hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. It should, it should make a difference. It should, your life should look different. As a result, test it out. If you fail the test, do something about it, right? It's like, I'm looking in the mirror again. 
I see something wrong. It's time to do something about it. Not in your own power, but in the power of God. Not in your own strength or based on your own intention, but because of the will of God and his working his will in and through you in the power and person of the Holy Spirit. So we emphasize doing something, taking next steps at Cornerstone. So what are some next steps that this suggests? Well, number one, if you've just been in the habit of doing churchy type things, but you recognize there's never been a time where I've personally said, I'm following Jesus. I want what he did on the cross to count for me, and I'm now going to walk in his ways from this point on. That is a necessary first step. Don't miss it. Don't just go on unthinkingly. So you can say yes to Jesus right now. And let us know about it because we want to encourage you and resource you for that. When you check in, there's a place and a way to show that you are doing that for the first time. But secondly, we're going to celebrate communion. And celebrating communion is for those who are following Jesus. So if you're making that decision today, or you made it 10 years ago, or 50 years ago, then this is for you because it's reminding you. But it's also giving you a chance to examine your life, the sacrifice that Christ did on the cross, and the difference that it's making in your life, and see, hmm, I recognize there's something different. There's something wrong here. I'm going to result, I'm going to let that result in a change of course, and I'm going to make that just a part of my habit. The way that I put it for the next step for this message is like, Feedback on my message from Siri. Um, So the way that I put it in the next step was this. Let revelation, the recognition that something is wrong, lead to confession, agreeing with God, this is not right, and let it result in repentance, a change of course, a change of action, repentance. So if you didn't already, then make sure that you have the elements of communion because we're going to celebrate communion right now. I'm going to give you a second to do what we've talked about. Apostle Paul, that's why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. I'm going to give you a moment of quiet reflection to think about the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, to remind you that you could never be good enough That's why Jesus' sacrifice was necessary. And then, as you take the elements of communion, you're you're internalizing it, literally. You're saying, I want what Jesus did on the cross, his broken body, his spilled blood, to count for me. And I want my life to reflect the ways of Christ. And Lord, I'm just open, show me, reveal to me where I'm off track. I will agree with you and I will count on you as I walk forward and make, to make a difference and a change of course that is a change of life that leads me to the place you want me to be. Again, moment of quiet reflection. You can close your eyes, bow your head, just focus in, draw a circle around yourself and let's see what the Lord will say to us. And again, if you need the elements of communion, go ahead and grab them.
here's the confidence that you can have. No matter what you've done, no matter what you are confessing, no matter how many times you have blown it, the broken body of Christ was broken for you. His spilled blood covers your sin. The sacrifice, that's what this reminds us of, the sacrifice for our sins, the debt for our sins has been paid. You can leave here today with a clear conscience. It also reminds us that just like there was nothing we could do to save us, so we are dependent upon the cross and Jesus' work on the cross for our salvation. We are also dependent upon him, his power at work in the person of the Holy Spirit in our lives to change course. And because he did the first, he will do the second. He's promised that for those who are in Christ, you will be brought the whole way. He's not going to leave you as an incomplete project. He is committed to the point of his son's death on the cross to forgive you. And there will be a time when he returns in power and he will complete the work of transforming you. So, first, take the bread. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And he said, as often as you are doing this, you are proclaiming the Lord's death. You are proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Jesus, until the day he comes again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for what you did on the cross. We, li- we really do celebrate communion. Without your sacrifice, we would be hopelessly lost, without hope and without God in the world. But because of Jesus, because of his death, resurrection, and eventual return, we can have hope We can have a different life. We can truly experience repentance. Thank you. And may we make repentance, seeking out your revelation so we see where things are wrong, recognizing that we need a change of course, and then confessing and leaving the resulting change up to you. Decide to live differently in your power, by your strength. May that be the regular course, the practice and praxis of our lives. Lord, this week, as we go through our lives, when we recognize that something, when we recognize that something is not as it should be, may this message and this come to mind. We can, we can agree with you that that's not right. We can confess. We can change course because of the power of your spirit. And may we be a people who day by day, moment by moment, live in a way that is, has greater fidelity to who you are and what you want for us. We pray this in Jesus' name.
And everyone said, amen. 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 Have a great week. Uh, Feel free to hang out and circle up and discuss the live it out questions if you would like. And I'll see you next week. We'll be celebrating graduation and continuing with the Praxis series.